0: I think the market's waiting for you know uh, some kind of move one way or the other. Are we going to start uh, loosening policy again, tightening, and and until then, I think it's it's stuck in this range.
1: Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Mark is here with you for Arcady Economics as we are continuing our coverage. Of the events in the economy and how that impacts the silver world in particular obviously a lot going on we're only a week away from the feds latest meeting which will provide another data point and how things shake out with the rate cycles which have obviously had a big impact on the metals interesting that for the past year we do have a higher silver price even in the face of interest rate increases. Of course, that was following quite a plummet in the silver price last year at the beginning of those rate increases, but we'll dig into that and a lot more. I'm joined by my good friend David Stein of Kuya Silver today, who obviously is seeing this from the front lines. So it'll be great to get your perspective on some of the particulars on the silver mining side as well. And David, great to have you back in here. How's everything going with you today?
0: It's going going well, thank you. Um, yeah, just grinding away. Uh, on the front lines, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, happy to be here. Um, thanks for having me.
1: Well, it's mid-September. We're recording Wednesday, September thirteenth, and just about a year ago, we were at the silver symposium in Spokane, Washington, where we we had a couple of grim days there, as silver even got below eighteen dollars. One of those days, um, we can see September back here, leading into October and got back to $24 silver at the beginning of the year, dipped down below 20, up to 26, and has been floating back and forth in a range since then, which somewhat mysteriously seems to coordinate with whether the banks are getting long or short silver uh, pattern that has accurately predicted a couple of these past few humps. But David, on uh, Wednesday morning, we had the latest CPI showing that inflation at least according to the government numbers came in a little bit hotter than expected obviously something that is behind all of the latest uh, gyrations from the fed which again we'll get more color on next week but any thoughts on what we've seen in the past year a little bit surprising perhaps in some ways, to see relative to where we were last year even with rates going higher than expected and so far staying there longer than expected but what would you say about what we've seen in silver in the past year leading up to where we are today?
0: well, i th- I think silver's been resilient when you when you definitely when you look at um, the when you look at the rate tightening cycle, compared to how people would have looked at silver and I uh, you know, when we could lump gold in there as well in in past cycles, um, you know, I think I think uh, the fact that uh that silver is you know in in the low to mid twenties you know you've got uh gold nineteen hundred ish um as well i think uh tells you that tells you that there is strong underlying demand uh for these metals awaiting you know the next crisis really that's you know that's that's the main reason to to own these. Um, is for that you know portfolio protection. and uh, And so I think I think the you know there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of gyrations as you say uh, at the very top, but underlying you know, I think the, the fundamentals are looking really strong uh, for these for these metals and for silver specifically. And uh, that's being you know reflected in the price where it is today. Um, I mean, we'd all like it to be higher. Uh, I certainly would would like it to be higher. Um, but again, given you know, given the context of of where we've been with the rate tightening cycle over the past year, uh, I think having silver at you know bouncing between twenty three and twenty five dollars is is okay. Uh, and keep in mind, you know, the U.S. dollar's been very strong as well. Uh, we've only had really one kind of Shocky, shockish type type of event, which was the Silicon Valley, which was again, when we look back, a, a relatively minor event uh, compared to some of the other ones we've we've all lived through in the past twenty years. So, uh, so that you know, that's where it got pushed up a little higher to twenty six dollars. And um, but I think the market's waiting for you know um, uh, some kind of move one way or the other. Are we going to start uh, loosening policy again? um tightening and and until then I think it's it's stuck in this range.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense because you know we had the 75 basis point hikes last year and got through the brunt of those and while there's been some tightening this year it hasn't fortunately been at quite as significant as significant of a pace. And and it feels like people are still wondering, all right, when are we going to be done? When are the rate cuts coming, which even the Fed has spoken of the rate rate cuts coming with their summary of economic projections. So it seems whether pe- whether we like it or not that the sideways action. I mean, silver about seventy five cents lower on the year, gold higher on the year. Perhaps somewhat fitting. Um, and you mentioned something that uh, reminds me of what we were talking about before we started, where you know silver has that history of spiking up when there's something that sparks that fear impulse. We saw that with a lot of uh, physical buying during the banking crisis earlier this year. And obviously we saw that with what was going on in 1980 and 2011 when we got those spikes to $50. Interesting, if you consider those spikes due to real fear of instability in the system, Perhaps maybe that's what silver could be expected to do at this point. Because, all right, maybe if uh, you really have problems in the U.S., which I don't, I don't think we know when things are going to unravel yet. We see the debt loads, we see the dynamics with the Fed losing money on their balance sheet, banks banks running into trouble, a new Fed facility launched, things get delayed longer. I mean, I guess that's what the Fed's going to do where. They're probably not just going to sit there and let the thing collapse. Maybe that doesn't change the longer term picture yet. You know, if you consider maybe there's another spike like this in our future, which I, I think if you go far enough out, however far that is, is probably a reasonable expectation yet. Looking at the M2, found this chart, thought that was interesting, where silver has somewhat followed the increase of the money supply. I mean, here we are four or $5 back in the year 2000. So a five X, four and a half X up to where we stand today, maybe a little lower than that 2426, but, um, has silver filled its role over time? Would you say?
0: Yeah, I think if you look over the very long term, I think, I think you would, you'd have to argue that it does. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, when I look at this chart, I definitely see, you know, something that's gone up. You know, uh, you're right, five x since the early two thousands. Uh, you know, it was under five dollars uh, for for part of that time. Um, you know, since nineteen sixty, it's probably up twenty x. So, you know, you're you're looking at something that does over time. You know, kind of keep Pace with inflation, at least, and then at times it you know it, it outperforms. Uh, so again, if you look at this chart, you will see that while the trend looks pretty consistent with the U.S. M2 money supply over this forty or what is it no, sixty-year period, um, there there are long periods of time where the silver price is is one side or the other of that of that uh of that orange line so it you know it spent quite a bit of time above it in the late 70s early 80s then below it for about 20 years or so then above it for a while and you know we're back below it again so you know uh i think the the trend is up when you look over multi-years here and you can see with the money supply which is a proxy for inflation that you know a silver rally over forty dollars that would just get you to the m2 line right now and as we've said before there's times where it spends years above that line you can see that here you know that's where you would go to 50 60 hundred dollars from here
1: yeah and like you you pointed out even uh Despite some of the sell-off over the past year, gold's still at nineteen hundred, near the top end of its range, and silver. I don't think most people often think about this, but again, and rightly so, we're we have the fifty dollar price spikes in mind, and that's a big part of what I think drew a lot of us into silver. Although, if you take those price spikes out, obviously nineteen eighty was very brief. Two thousand eleven, we did see. Silver in the 30s and 40s for most of the year. But those aside, we're really at the high end of the range of where silver has been historically. So suppose a uh, matter of perspective on these things. Although, in terms of people wondering, well, okay, could we see silver go back into the teens? Obviously, last year we did, and certainly that's possible. Yet, one of the things underlying that is the cost of production, which silver generally has not for longer periods of time stayed below is rising as well. I've seen some estimates this year for all in costs of around $21, $22. Um, I know obviously you're closer on that side. Curious if those sound about right or any thoughts on what is actually costing primaries to get silver out of the ground at this point.
0: I haven't done a thorough analysis on this disclaimer, but anecdotally, I definitely have seen um, you know, financial reports that are coming out recently from some of the, you know, bigger producers that would have costs in the well into the 20s. Um, and, uh, and so I think, I think that's the right ballpark probably is the is, you know, if it's 2021 20, 22, it's in that ballpark uh, as an industry. And and so you're right. I think uh, I think that is um, uh, that is something that does put a bit of a floor on the price. Um, maybe not in the very short term. Obviously, things can happen, but over the longer term, it does it does provide a floor because obviously you're not going to get any new supply. And I would argue we're probably not really getting any significant new supply happening right now anyway. Um, it's not you know the the price of silver isn't enough to sort of get over the hump of the higher cost of capital that's been, that the industry has been facing lately. So you might have a project here or there, but for, for all those projects, you know, keep in mind that the industry is always in a natural state of decline because you know, the, the, the easy ore is mine first, the higher grade ore is mine first in almost every mining project. So. That's uh, you tend to unless you keep reinvesting, you tend to have a natural decline in all. This is, goes for all 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 mining commodities actually, all mines, right? But silver, silver especially. And so, uh, so the only way to the only way to shock the patient back awake again, where you actually have rising supply, is to provide a lot of capital to the industry. And, uh, right now that's not happening. So, uh, and it hasn't been happening for, for a few years. So I think on, on that side, where if you're, you know, silver investor, you're in really, really good shape where that's, that's something that you just don't have to worry about probably for the next four or five years. Cause it also takes a long time too. Even, even if the, even if the price of silver went to $50 tomorrow and a whole bunch of generalist bankers, investors, hedge funds start, started throwing money at us. It would still take people four or five years to build a new mine, or expand a, a, a mine, get permits, all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm generalizing, but that's right. that is that is the reality.
1: Yeah, and certainly we've seen that over the past year it has been a tough year for a lot of these silver mining equities, especially the explorers and developers. What do you think it's going to take? For that to change and also do you, do you think that we've seen the bottom i mean so, some of the most of the sector has really gotten pummeled where you could make the argument that things are are cheap now i think there's a degree to which given the volatility in silver we haven't seen money come back in the space because especially now down around 23 dollars, it's like oh well what happens if silver goes down to 20 bucks i think there's the the fear of that in people's minds but do you think do you think we've bottomed out yet or what do you think it takes to change that?
0: My feeling is that we have bottoms and I say that just as someone who watches the market and, you know, the silver stocks very closely every day, including my own. Um, but I, I watch a peer group of about 30 companies very, you know, pretty closely and how they trade and, and where they're at versus their highs and lows of the year. And it seems to me like, um, uh, I mean, there's I, I see some green shoots in in how the stocks are trading, but they're still very small green shoots right now. A lot of companies are still very close to their fifty two week lows, <clears throat> you know, even even lows that they would have hit earlier in the year. so uh, when when silver price was was even lower than it is today, so no one is getting excited about a $23 silver price and investing, you know, in, in, in stocks right now, uh, in general. Um, but they're also not going lower either. So that's good. That's a good sign. I think that, uh, that we may be, we may be at the bottom and, and on the, you know, on, a on our way to a turnaround very soon. Um, in terms of what will get the sector going, it's really gotta be flow of funds. So we need to see rotation into metals and mining, precious metals, silver specifically. We need to see that rotation happen um, from probably tech really is where, where a lot of the equity money is parked right now. So, um, and of course, you know, we don't expect all the Microsoft, all the, thousands or millions of Microsoft investors to go and buy Kuya or any other silver stock tomorrow. But even if a tiny fraction of those guys start moving their money into our tiny little sector, it will make a huge difference, a huge positive difference because things are really cheap. Uh, the, the, The market caps are really, really small. So, I mean, in most cases, in a you know, in in, in these companies, you can't you can't even put a million dollars to work without doubling or tripling the share price. So, you know, think about that at a at a big scale. Uh, that's you know, if you have to allocate five million or ten million dollars to the sector, obviously you can go to bigger companies like First Majestic, et cetera, and that's fine. But that that all does eventually trickle down to the micro caps and the small caps uh, like us. So. Uh, so to me, that's, it's the flow of funds that's the big missing ingredient. Um, we've got great investors and in a great, you know, universe of mining specialist investors that follow us and rotate around from company to company as news happens. And that's great. Uh, we'd love those guys. They do, you know, they, they're, they're, they're all really smart, but we, we need, we need the pie to, get bigger, not the same pie to just be sliced different ways, we need the whole pie to get bigger in order to see really exciting equity returns. But when that does happen, the returns will be huge because our sector is so small. It's so beaten up that, as I said, a relatively small allocation of capital, $500,000 here, a million dollars there, you're going to see stock prices double and triple and more, go even higher than that very, very quickly.
1: I think that's reasonable, especially as you pointed out, a lot of the, especially on the junior side, prices substantially lower even than a year ago when we did have that $18 silver. So I get it. It's tough when people have been beaten up, although perhaps we are close to the bottom. Another thing that you talked about uh, in terms of more mainstream institutional money coming in. Certainly, we have not seen that on the silver side. Here is the weekly transparent silver holdings. Think of SLV. This includes the COMEX as well, PSLV, but all those ETFs and blue line here representing the amount of silver, which even during the rally of the past year has continued to come out. So we'll see when it turns. Uh, I, I wonder if that's not another thing that is tied to waiting for some resolution out of the Fed whenever they are finally done. Raising interest rates. Um so something interesting,
0: uh, Chris, that the timing of that drop, which is still going on, is really exactly around the chain, you know, the Fed pivot to uh to tightening rates in twenty twenty two.
1: Yep, we can see that right when the silver price and the gray line began to fall. And yeah, that was when it's quite an active time period because you had the breakout of war just earlier there. And then, as you point out, really, we've seen a lot of silver come out of those funds. Although one place that we see silver continue to go into is China. Here's an interesting comment from Bai Zhaojun, who does some great research from a Chinese perspective. And he mentions, China understands it completely relies on the silver bar market if it completely relies on the bar market. Prices will skyrocket, so it skips the silver market and purchases silver ore sand and concentrate directly from the miners. However, this will lead to a supply shortage of ore for overseas refinery, resulting in a gradual depletion of reserves. Uh, I think suggesting that First Majestic could perhaps be the type of company getting a call. Have you heard anything uh, along those lines of companies going direct to uh consumers or or other groups like bias suggesting here
0: well that's a fascinating comment to be perfectly honest i think where he's seeing that is likely with chinese miners first and foremost um and there are you know there are many or several i'm not sure how many exactly but there are Small uh, silver miners in China who could be selling by silver ore sand. What he means is uh, that would be crushed, crushed ore that has not yet been concentrated, but mu- but probably you know high grade from a you know from a high grade silver vein mine. Something similar to what we have in Bethania or, or Silver Kings project. Um, they have high-grade projects like that. Um, silver Corp is a Canadian listed company that has some high-grade silver projects like that in China, located actually in China. So that's what they would be buying is is the, the crushed silver ore. Uh, and then concentrates, those concentrates tend to be controlled by third parties. So we would sell our concentrate to a third-party metals trader, and then they can sell it directly to China or, to a refinery in Tokyo or, or Japan, I should say, Korea, wherever, wherever, the wherever they want. Um, and, uh, and so that would be, you'd see less impact of that on the actual miners themselves, at least for now. Now there's nothing stopping a miner from selling their own concentrate. Uh, they just tend not to do it because it's a, it's a whole other business with its own infrastructure that's required. So. Bigger companies would do that, like tech, like uh, you know, BHP, et cetera, but, but most smaller companies will use a third party for that.
1: Okay, makes sense. And again, he did mention the gradual depletion of reserves. Uh, he had an interesting piece out a couple months ago showing the current reserves, again, that does not include resources or other projects that are out exploring, but we're on pace for depletion of current reserves in about six years. So. Again, another factor in addition to the cost of production that would suggest that might not see silver going substantially lower for an extended period of time. Um, one last thing that I wanted to run by you found an interesting comment uh, out of JP Morgan, no less, the other day. And uh, in terms of banking issues and the Fed and where things might be going going forward. Uh, let's take a moment to listen to what bob michelle from jp morgan had to say here
2: not believing that they may have to cut rates your previous call to the start of summer was cuts by september clearly they won't be cutting a week tomorrow i want to understand from your perspective what's
0: going to deliver those cuts and when you're thinking about yields we haven't seen since 06 07 some people might be listening this morning thinking well bad things happened after that the bad things happen now and of course i'm not saying on the same scale to the same magnitude of what we saw in 08 but Are you
2: anticipating bad things so at the start of this year we thought something like recession by the end of the year then we had the regional banking crisis and we thought well that's going to bring recession forward a few months so they should be cutting by september and i think what we looked at and probably got wrong was the backstop that the central banks the fed put in place the bank term funding program And we likened it more to a Bear Stearns bailout. It probably was more like TARP. It just created more liquidity, backstopped the entire banking system. These things are still hiding in plain sight. The regional banking crisis hasn't gone away. I wish you had asked Bill Dudley when he was patting himself on the back in the Fed about, no, no, this is all in the rearview mirror. Really? Look at the bank term funding program. It's quietly increased in size. Nine consecutive the last nine consecutive weeks, it's at one hundred and eight billion. So the regional banks are not working down their borrowing, and that's coming in at five and a half percent. That's telling us that they still need cash available to meet depositor outflows. So I think there are plenty of things out there that are so still-
1: so we'll stop that there, but again, suggesting that we have not seen the end of the banking issues. And again, when we look at the response to that was more backstopping by the Fed, which taken down a long enough timeline, we see that while things continue to be papered over, the end outcome that I think draws a lot of people into silver and leads to some of these spikes like we've seen in the past, then add on the, the inflation going back up, the high, higher oil price, all of these other things whether we're at, not at $50 silver today, I think speaks to some of these issues that are coming down the road and haven't been resolved and any thoughts on that one?
0: Well, that is the first time I've seen that video and it is uh, very uh, refreshing actually to hear that kind of frank um, analysis uh, and and it really, really makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I mean, I guess the way to interpret that is that the next crisis is, you know, is just, just around the corner. We just don't know when. If it'll be, you know, tomorrow, a week, a month. But the system is still shaky. The fact that the Fed has to, you know, create these programs to, behind the scenes to basically prop the banks up is uh very should be very concerning for investors so I'm thinking not too many people saw that uh watch the the Bloomberg show anymore which is which is too bad
1: <laughs> well that's why we got it covered here today and um uh, yeah I thought it was some interesting comments and indicative of that we have not seen the end of some of these things again with the rates staying higher for longer another potential hike not making it any easier out there so either case david before we wrap up was hoping you could give us an update on how things are coming along at kuya where we have been doing some drilling at the silver kings project amongst other things that are going on but perhaps you could uh, let us know how things are going there
0: sure happy to do that uh, we're simultaneously running two district scale projects so silver kings as you mentioned we will be starting to drill you know, very shortly uh, later this month. And that's the program that we, you know, announced a few weeks ago. And we've been just doing all the pr- preparations behind the scenes. So, very excited to get on to that. And it's really, frankly, a really important program for us because we, we established a new discovery in March, April of this year in, in a brand new area, not near any historical mines, which is typically where people have drilled and explored. In the in this cobalt district or camp in the past is just near near existing mines so we we found a brand new discovery um hopefully we'll I'll be calling it a deposit pretty soon um, and it's not associated with any historic mining now uh, we only really hit it with two two of our drill holes in the previous program so uh, that tells you that there's something there but as to how big it is, we need to prove that to the market. In this bear market, nobody's going to give us any credit for anything until we actually show it. So this is the program that will show the size and scale of the Angus vein discovery, as well as the potential for uh, veins close by to it, which we've talked about and shown people in the past, we, we think are there, but we haven't drilled them in the right place yet to get any significant mineralization. Um, whereas now we know where to drill, we can go back and target those areas. And, uh, I'm expecting we'll get some very good results there. So that's very exciting with Bethania. Uh, we are also, uh, I think going to surprise the market this fall by having some news that will allow us to move forward with that, with that project. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that's an easier, lower risk project. I know it's in a, you know, it's in Peru versus Canada, uh, but Um, but it's a past producing mine. So uh, there's already decades worth of work done for us there. And it's just a matter of getting back in there and, uh, you know, under the right circumstances, starting production. So we'll want to have an off-take agreement there. That's, you know, that's something I referred to. And when we were talking about the silver market in general, Uh, you were talking about concentrate and third parties. So that's something we're looking at um, and very close to, uh, uh, wrapping that up or being able to to announce something there. Uh, and that will, in my mind, be the, the catalyst to move forward with that project back into production. So we'll, uh, yeah, so stay tuned. We have not forgotten about it. We just, we haven't had as much news on Bethania lately, just because Silver Kings has been a little more active. And we've had the, you know, the drilling going on. And it's been uh, easier, frankly, to raise money for, you know, using the flow through. Uh, mechanism in Canada, uh, which, uh, you know, incentivizes exploration. It's a great, you know, great system for, you know, if you have a project in Canada, obviously it gives, lowers the cost of capital hugely. So we've been taking advantage of that. And, uh, and that's really the main reason why we've had more news at Silver Kings, but this, you know, Bethania is still our flagship. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll be in production way before Silver Kings will. And we're, very, very excited to have some news on it in the next few months.
1: Okay, and that update will will shed uh, some further light on when to expect going into production at Bethania will be the next update there.
0: Uh, well, I think once we have that offtake agreement in place, I think that will allow us to give a bit more of a firm timeline. May or may, that may not be the next announcement that's why that's why i that's why i'm sort of phrasing it like that but it it went that to me will be the that will that will that will allow us to get a little bit more granular as to the timing but you know just whatever whenever that is if that's if that's in um, you know later this month october hopefully no later than that but even if it's november keep in mind that this is a very quick project to get back into production We're we're you know from the point that we pull the trigger, it's only a few months and we'll up production there. So that's we're in a great position there. Um, just a matter of you know getting a few final corporate development things done there.
1: Well, I know you'll be excited about that. I know the Kuya shareholders will be excited about that. And perhaps you could just let folks know where they can find you and how to best stay up to date so that when that is announced, they can be aware of it.
0: Well, the best way is to subscribe to our email list as you've, <laughs> you've already done, uh, done the work for me there. Uh, our website is great. I think, uh, kuyasilver.com, a uh, great way to start. If you're new to the company, uh, you can see our projects and obviously sign up for the email list, uh, is then we just, you know, we'll spoon feed you the, the information. And we don't, we don't spam people a lot just when there's, you know, major announcements, press releases, that kind of thing. And then, uh, uh, and then uh, we do have other ways to follow us on all the social media as well. And there's links to that on our website. You can you can get all those from our website as well. Also, you can con- you can use that contact tab to uh, send us a message, book a meeting, uh, etc. So lots of ways to contact us. And we're you know, you'll actually speak to someone senior management. If it's not me, it'll be someone very senior and uh, we'll uh, uh, we we love to talk to our investors and our potential investors.
1: Well, David, appreciate that. Shedding some light on the dynamics within silver, the silver mining stocks, and also congratulations on continuing to move things forward. And it seems like you made quite a bit of progress with both the projects there at Kuya. So David Stein of Kuya Silver, great to catch up with you as always. And we'll have to do this again soon, my friend.
0: Thank you very much, Chris.